0: The following is a message by Dr. Stephen Baugh of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Lord, our Lord, as we open your word this morning, we pray for insight from your spirit to apprehend its truths and the glory of Christ here, but in particular, the message for us so we may live our lives as light bearers before you, illumined by the spirit and dwelling in us by your grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Galatians. We're doing a faculty series through Galatians, and we are supposed to read Galatians six one through six. But I would like to add Galatians five twenty five at the beginning. So here now the word of the Lord. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another. Envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each one will have to bear his own load. One who has taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Since the reading of God's word, please be seated. It is my desire in my presentations of our chapel devotions to Fit uh, the message and the time because students often have midterms or other things they have to occupy themselves with, so I usually just have one point, not a three point ceremony. you just get one point in a chapel if you want to hear three points, you have to hear me preach in a real you know church but uh, this this passage has a lot of points, and it opens with simply uh, justifying this division of the text and it's actually uh, a place where I think our translation has helped us. You'll notice in uh, the ESV, which I read, uh, verse uh, chapter 5, verse 25, is indented as a new paragraph. And I think that paragraph actually runs through 6, verse 5. And then they gave uh, verse 6 as a new paragraph ending in verse 10. I actually think that's uh, exactly right. There is a unity between chapter 6, verse 6, and verse 10, uh, particularly taking care of people. That's, that's the unity of uh, paying your pastor and uh, taking care of people in the church, especially the household of faith. So I think uh, we're going to focus on uh, 5.25 and following. And my one point really derives from including that first part. Uh, the one point is an exhortation, and it's an exhortation that I think you have to get right. It's uh, one that is actually a little hard to perceive at times, but it's, it's certainly a biblical teaching elsewhere. I, uh, you know, I could be wrong on this one, but I don't think so, and part of it is verse 4. You see, verse 4 just sort of sticks there out of the blue, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. That's uh, how the ESV renders it. And you know we're not supposed to boast in ourselves or our works. I mean, this is not something Paul exhorts us ever to do. We boast in the Lord. So you really have to carefully look at that verse and how it fits into its context. It is actually part of the key to understanding other things in this text. Uh, And let me, so as to not uh, keep you in, in suspense, tell you what this is all about. This text is really a unified text. It looks like a series of you know various sundry exhortations that he sort of collected at the end of the letter and just you know throws them all out here. Here's a whole bunch of stuff I want you to do. Uh, but there is a unity to this, and when you see how it builds and where the focus is, it is really a very important exhortation to us, and it is quite simply stated. Don't tear down other people in order to build yourself up. Now, Paul's a human being. I know that sounds surprising to say that, perhaps, but he's a human being like you and me. And he lives in a world like ours here because people do this all the time. They will do it to you if it hasn't already happened. Sometimes they'll do it in print, not just the internet. Something which will last for decades. There will be a book out attacking you, which you think is unfair and not accurate. But there it is. Why do people do this? Some people do this, they tear down you to build themselves up. This is something you should avoid. This is something that Paul says you just cannot do. And here's his justification for it. Let's let's, uh, look through the passage in detail and I want to show you how I came to this conclusion and this understanding of the text. Let's just look at some of the interesting things of the passage to uh, get going. The first thing is, when you look at what he says in chapter 5, verse 25, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, if you're... If you think about that, it's easy to misunderstand what he says in that first part. Because walking is another way to say living. It sounds like he's saying the same thing. If we live by the Spirit, we should live by the Spirit. If we walk by the Spirit, we should walk by the Spirit. If you understand live there as live your life. But it isn't what he says. What he actually says in that first part is, since we are alive, alive eternally by the Spirit, we must walk, live our lives by the Spirit. You see, the foundation of our life in the Spirit is the eternal life he gave us through regeneration. By receiving the Holy Spirit, you are alive forever forever. That is what he. That's the foundation, and what Galatians has all been about. The other messages of the chapel have been, you know, reinforcing that because it's there in the text over and over and over. You have life in Christ as a free gift, but there's an implication, and the implication is now walk accordingly. It's it's everywhere in the Bible. This is this is a free gift to you. And it comes with the ability now to be alive to God and to righteousness and good works that he created that you meant walk in them. So be alive in the spirit by accepting the gospel and walk according to the spirit. It's not optional. This is our life now. Now, you know, I have to remind you, I have to remind myself, this is our destiny. This is our hope is to be so transformed in resurrected existence that we can't even have a passing thought of sin. It will never even occur to us to sin, even in thought, a glancing thought. That's what our future holds for us in the new creation. And what a glorious future. But it's not only future. Through the Spirit, he is now working that in us But you see, it takes shape, not, you know, walk by the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? You see, now he's going to start telling us, okay, here's some common, ordinary uh, examples of what it looks like. Here, let's get practical. Let's let's see what that looks like. Because walking by the Spirit is a pretty exalted idea. It sounds like you could simply mm, walk about that far off the ground. No. You see, it's actually a life rooted in this world so that you transform yourself and your neighbor. Because notice what he says, verse 26. And he uses a lot of unusual terms here. Uh, He uses terms that only occur once in the Bible uh, because he's saying things that he's going to build up. The first one, let us not become conceited. It also can mean boastful. Going back down later in our passage, uh, his boast will be, In his works, see, it's actually connected to that word for boasting down in chapter 6, verse 4. Let us not become conceited, provoking, or challenging one another. And let us not be jealous of one another. Twice he talks about with one another. You see, his concern here is the household of faith. How you display your walk in the Spirit starting with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And then you turn to your neighbor outside the church also. But here you start in the church. The easiest place it is to love one another. So here it is. Walk by the Spirit. So here is how you start doing that. Let us not uh, start boasting in yourself. And you can see he's laying the foundation for that idea he's going to develop. Don't try to tear down other people to build yourself up. You say, don't look at other people as uh, people who are your rivals, and if you can tear them down, then you're somebody, which is how we think too often. And then he goes in verse 6 with this verse that looks like it stands by itself and has nothing to do with the context, but here's how it works. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Well, the word spiritual there doesn't mean people who are about to become transparent. It doesn't mean people who are, you know, have a pious outlook, you know, a pious uh, way of expression or something. It means people who are filled with the spirit and walking by the spirit. (laughs) That's what it means here. It's connected with what he just said. And people who are... Walking by the spirit should be concerned for their brother or sister in the Lord to make sure that they don't fall along the wayside. Restore such a one who's caught in a transgression. But then he has this, this, uh, this qualifier. But you should, however, be on watch that you may not as well fall into temptation. Now, here's the key to this, I think, and how it fits into the context. I've always taken that as someone is is caught uh, shoplifting, and you should uh, restore such a one, you know, help them through uh, that problem, restore them to fellowship in the church, and break that uh, shoplifting but Paul is not assuming that you're going to be tempted to shoplift just because you saw somebody else do it. I doubt that you know, you would, particularly if you're walking by the Spirit. No, the temptation here is to tear them down, to tell tales, to uh, look at them as, oh, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that fellow, a tax gatherer. Oh, jeez. Jesus said that, didn't he, someplace? Yeah, I thank you, Lord, that you you can see how naturally that follows. That's what he's thinking about when he says, keep watch on yourself that you don't also be tempted. And it's not in that transgression. It's the temptation of comparing yourself to that person because that's where he goes as the text unfolds. And notice how his concern here is to have us to relate to one another. And that's the law of Christ. You see, the law of Christ here occupies a lot of people. It's the only place the phrase appears in the Bible. The law of God, the law of Moses, the law of love. I mean, all sorts of phrases appear, but not the law of Christ. But it's not any different from what he had just said, if you want to fulfill the law, it can be summarized in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. It's that law that he's referring to. It's not any different. Christ has commanded us to love one another. If you love me, love one another. This is the uh, development of his thought here is bear one another's burdens. Look at that person who has trouble and help them. Don't tear them down. Love one another. This is how you fulfill the law of Christ. And that's, you see, how else can you explain verse 3? For if anyone, notice the four. See, he's explaining what he's thinking about. For, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You see, it's all about not looking at yourself during this whole process to build yourself up. You're not there helping someone else to build yourself up to feel good about yourself, particularly comparing yourself to that person who has trouble. You're there to build them up selflessly because it's the law of Christ. Isn't it what he does and has done, particularly by granting us eternal life at the cost of his own life? Well, then this verse four is the key but let each one test his own work. You see, what this really means is, let me summarize it, let each one examine his own work, then he'll keep his achievement to himself alone and not compare it with someone else's. You see, that's really the way to interpret that verse. Uh, Don't be looking at other people's business as if it's your business to compare yourself to them and feel good about yourself. Brothers and sisters, I want you to feel good about yourself. I honestly do. But there's only one way to feel good about yourself, and that's to look at Jesus. That's the only good work we have is Jesus. It's the only hope we have is Jesus. And it's his work that gives us that life through the Spirit that starts our own Christian life unfolding. You look at him. You admire him. You are so devoted to him that you have his attitude toward your neighbor. And that is someone to be helped without any comparison with yourself. Because that's what he's saying in verse 4. And that's the key to the passage. For each one will have to bear his own load. Which really means you have enough troubles you have enough duties, you have enough concerns and temptations of your own. Don't pay attention to other people's in order to build yourself up. That's what he says in verse 5 to conclude this. And you see, Paul is writing a draft of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. There might be some connection, maybe not literary, but it's possible that the Westminster authors. Had read the Bible. Question answer 76. Which is the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment is, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. 77. What is required in the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment requires the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man and of our own and our neighbor's good name, especially in witness bearing. Notice what it says. Maintaining and promoting our neighbor's good name. Not only not tearing them down, but actively promoting their good name. So the exhortation to you today, brothers and sisters, is that in the life that Christ gives you, you are set free from all this comparison. Don't do it. If you look at someone else caught in a certain transgression, selflessly out of love and compassion because of the compassion of Christ, help them and restore them without any thought of how that relates to you. It's not about you. It's about Christ. Here now, the the final exhortation from Proverbs. There are six things that the Lord hates seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers.